BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Six PM. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury: the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zach's trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! Oh. A thunderstorm! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cavs got off to an awful start to the post-All-Star break stretch, losing two games where they probably should have either won or been more competitive in. But that means we get to play our favorite game. What's wrong? How serious is this? How much stock we can put into this? And with me today to talk about all that fun stuff is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'll tell you what, Justin. You can't uh, you can't win a lot of games in the NBA when you go uh, in two consecutive games, basically a full quarter without scoring the basketball <laughs> Uh, in, in regular play uh, for you know 12 minutes at a time no that's uh that's not really a way that is a uh, or a method that's conducive to winning in the end I, I would argue those two quarters and two straight games are about as ugly as offense has gotten as a Cavs fan <laughs> I, I think that's about as ugly as it like there hasn't been that many quarters where an NBA team in NBA history has scored one field goal or two field goals, right? Like I'm, I'm, I haven't even done any research on this, but I, I feel like that's a bit of an anomaly. Yeah. I think there, I think, I think if, if the Cavs fan collective is feeling a little doomier than normal, I think it's forgivable after those <laughs> quarters. Cause that was, oof. Well, he, here's one thing I learned over the weekend, Carter. The the Cavs and I have something in common that I, I didn't really realize, but now I've come to appreciate it, and it has deepened my connection with this team. Do you know what that is? What is it? We do not handle change well. We, we absolutely oh, wow. do not handle change well, because it seems like every time there is some shakeup to the roster, either with who's available, who's healthy, um, trades, whatever the case may be, there's no real instances of the Cavs handling that well. This is a team that takes some time to get adjusted to those changes. And I, I'm sure, as we've talked about before, the absence of practices surely doesn't help that. 
Um, and I'm sure whatever practice they had coming into the all-star break was probably with Kevin Love, who did not get to play a whole lot in these games. So once again, you're trying to make adjustments on the fly. It's just not working out well too, too well for this team right now. Yeah, and I think if you want to be particularly doomy, which and I want to I want to note this that I am not feeling particularly doomy. You uh, you are uh, feeling shades of doomy. A little I was shade. feeling shades of doomy, but I've since talked myself out of it. Some some um, doom sprinkles. Yeah, it's just sprinkles of doom. And the biggest reason to feel uh, like the back half of the season is not going to be fun is the fact that this is a team that has proven time and time again that a practice goes a long way. Mm-hmm. and there ain't no time for that <laughs> i think there's i think it's like every other day in perpetuity until the season's over uh it, if not more than that so yeah it's it's gonna be tough it's gonna be hard for this team to find the time but i will say this and here's why i didn't get particularly do me is the whole i mean the roster is very very much not set yet mm-hmm. you know we're 10 ways 10 days away from the deadline four or five players you know in the rumor mill to some varying degrees and we still are in limbo i can't tell you how long we've been in limbo yeah uh but i'm, I'm not flexible enough to to do limbo for an extended period of time but no it, I, I i do not do my calisthenics so you know ultimately I, it's just still so hard to know it's still so hard to know what this team is going to be you know last year at the trade deadline they fundamentally changed themselves by trading for andre drummond right before uh, the pandemic shut everything down. So it's just like, I'm kind of in a space where I am trying not to draw too many long-term conclusions because everything is still so uncertain. Yeah, and and it's funny. So looking at the games from the weekend, the New Orleans one, a lot of that was kind of explainable. Uh, The Pelicans just got their butts kicked the the night before by the Timberwolves. So they kind of got their their legs back under them. They they were were playing with motivation. Cavs were playing without Darius Garland or any real point guard that's been integrated into the lineup because Quinn Cook, as much as he's shown a little bit here, he's not bringing the same thing that Garland brings to the table. Um, and a bad shooting night from Colin Sexton, which was a, a bit of a theme for this weekend. The Hawks game, I, after I, I let it marinate a, a bit, it, it really, to me, comes down to poor shooting. Because I, I tweeted this out, but the Hawks only made one field goal more than the Cavs uh, on the night. And that might lead you to think, oh, well, it's Trey Young, so they probably took a billion more free throws. No, they only took three free throws more. The Cavs took more three-point attempts than the Hawks, than the Pelicans. It's just poor shooting. Like, I, I yeah. really think that Hawks game came down to poor shooting. And when when you aren't hitting your open shots, when the offense isn't clicking and you're not getting results, it can lead to some poor decision-making and... and and mistakes and we, you, you and just we, and we saw their their shoulders slump you know oh and, yeah and you know i i hope that isn't read as like some kind of character uh attack on the team i think this team's proven over and over again that they're actually pretty damn resilient i, but, I think know, people know us when, well enough to to yeah. know when we're saying shoulder slump we're, yeah. we're not saying yeah. they quit like, or whatever it's just like when you're generating good looks and they're just not following and the other team is hitting a couple tough shots in a row it's just like it's hard on the spirit and especially after two straight games of it where they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn and i think it's important here uh it's important on the chase down podcast when we admit that we're wrong mm-hmm. and you know i tweeted 
uh, earlier today, the Cavs have to outplay their opponents by a heavy margin to have a chance at winning because they lose the math problem on most nights. The mm-hmm. math problem being for those who are not uh, as online as Justin as me is three is worth more than two in free throws. Yeah. Um, and then I said, not sure how they get how they get their volume and their percentages up, but it's tough now. And you you challenged me on Twitter.com, and I think it was a good thing. You said that you think the volume critique is a little uh, dated. They took eight more threes than the Pelicans. They took one more three than the Hawks. And that they've taken more threes than their opposition in the majority of their games since that Denver game. And you know what? You're right. I think <laughs> I am doing the classic process over results over process kind of criticism that we try to fight against. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I, I'm feeling all the misses and it's just, oh, it just feels so bad. And, you know, you kind of you kind of lose it for a minute. And then you look at the numbers and you go, well, the shot diet is changing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the the actual percentages. So that practice came before the Denver game. That's when you heard the team kind of communicate that there has been a change in focus where the coaching staff really emphasized getting three point attempts up since that point. 36.4 percent of their attempts, field goal attempts are coming from behind the arc the league average is 36.5 so they are pretty much league average and that and is, i'm fine with that and, and that is a massive increase because before that stretch they were 30.5 percent of their shots were coming from deep so that's basically a six percent increase that that is dramatic and you know what i i actually want to address something because it's come up a few times where there is this notion that J, a jb bickerstaff offense doesn't shoot threes that he is not a coach that historically has promoted the three-point shot. So let's go over his coaching career just a little bit because I I, I want to finally kind of get this off my chest because it's kind of been stewing there. Carter, when he coached the Houston Rocks in 2015-2016, a great year. I would really, imagine they put up some threes. A really, really good year, you know. Uh, that eight year has aged very well for me. Um, what would you guess their ranking was in the league in three-point frequency? Well, Daryl Morey is the GM. Mm -hmm. I would say at least top 10. Yeah. So they were first in the league. Um, In fact, their 39.1% three-point frequency would still be well above league average. That was a team that shot a lot of threes. Then you got Memphis, who shot 33.4 before he got there. It was basically stagnant. It went to 34.2 with him, as well as, um, yeah, it was stagnant the first year, then 34.2. after. And and bear in mind, that's the grit and grind grizz. Exactly. So that's kind of my point. It was low before he got there. It was low with him. And since then, it went from 34.2 to 34.7, and now down to 32.7. So I don't think that's necessarily fair to put this on J.B. Bickerstaff. Like, it, it he has... I I don't think that that is a a fair narrative and especially looking at how they came into this season. um, The the fact that all we've heard from the players, from the coaching staff is that they want to get the three point attempts up. I just think that it is a kind of lazy assumption based on maybe some criticisms from the Memphis fan base when it hasn't been different before or after he left that franchise. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think that is definitely uh, probably an unfair critique. Here's what I want to I want to I want to take this down to brass tacks though because we we've been talking a lot about narratives yes. and and also kind of perceived uh, perception versus reality. I do want to just take it down to if you want to criticize the Cavs, the offense is icky 
Yeah. So why? What is the problem? Is it system? Is it systemic? Is it execution? Is it a mix of both? What do you think the number one culprit is? Because I have a few theories. Yeah, I, man, number one culprit is a great question. Um, my gut instinct is to mention the percentage on those three-point attempts because those attempts are up, but they're not going down. And in today's NBA, that makes a huge difference. Even one or two, three more threes a game uh, will dramatically change your net rating. And I don't, and by the way, I don't but, think we're dealing with a situation like the Houston Rockets who are chucking. Yes. You know, I think I want to say they're like third or fourth in the league in attempts and dead last in percentage with, with you know, no chance pull-ups. Like most of the threes I'm seeing, I'm pretty happy with. Jetty takes some bad ones, mm-hmm. but Jetty incidentally is one of the you know better percentage guys on the team. No, he's, not. Um, he's at like 32%. Uh, well, I guess among uh, people who take three, I mean, everyone's pretty low right now. <laughs> he he um, is up there on makes uh, in yes. total that's, volume. That's but, what I should say. Sorry. But the, uh, but the old, per- but point the old is, percentage point is Jetty, Jetty takes some tough ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone else pretty much still just takes them when they're there. And they're taking them there when they're there more often. But I'm not seeing like a terrible shot diet here. Mm-hmm. So it's not like... They, they're upping their volume at the attempt of the quality. Yes. I would say, so as I said, my gut instinct is to say the three-pointers, but I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to pivot. And I'm going to say Darius Garland. I'm going to say that at this point, he's kind of proven that he is their most important piece offensively. Colin Sexton is their leading scorer, and him not shooting well these last two games obviously had an impact on the offense. But you saw in that first half, and in particular the second quarter, when Garland is assertive, when he is out there forcing the issue and playing, like he looked like he was having fun out there. He looked like he was manipulating the defense. He could get anything he wanted at any time. When he is playing that style, it frees up absolutely everybody. And I, I think that there is still this temptation from him to be a team guy, to get everybody involved, where we need him to flat out be more assertive because their only hope at having an offense that functions well, that can manipulate the defense, that can generate quality open looks is for Garland to be assertive. So right now I'm saying that he needs to take that leap in order for this offense to consistently look better. I, I think that's the only route given the personnel that they currently have. Yeah, I I don't know if it's assertiveness though. I do think structurally, you know, so when you're evaluating play, you're looking at three things, right? You're mm-hmm. looking at coaching, you're looking at execution, and then honestly, you're also looking at roster construction. And I think right now, and I do not think that this is particularly an indictment on anyone because Cavs have been capped out and have, are just in, you know, there's in year three of the of the rebuild, and I've mostly been happy with the draft picks. There's just not enough ball handling and shot creation on the okay. team. I, 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 in all fairness, I thought that that was kind of the general assumption that we were working under because this was a team that was projected to win 20 games. Yes. Yes. Um, but like, but at it, at its core, they have one point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that one point guard isn't on the floor, it takes their best volume scorer and makes him play point guard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, it, it, you know, they always say this in football. I've always, uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard this kind of uh, evaluation point when like your tackle gets in, injured, you want to, a lot of coaches prefer to bring in the other, a backup tackle as opposed to swinging a guard out there because yeah. you don't want to get worse at two positions. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's what the Cavs have to do when they play Colin Sexton at backup point guard. 
They get worse at two positions. Like I really like he, that. that. That's a he, good observation. He, thank you. Uh, he he isn't particularly strong at, at at being a lead playmaker still. He's a good secondary playmaker at this point, or at least a solid one. Mm-hmm. But as a lead playmaker that makes the offense hum, it's just not there. So if they're not running a ton of sets that allow you know Larry Nance to playmake out of the high post, and oh by the way, Larry Nance is still working his way back from an injury. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There there was not any real playmaking from. There's him just not. Time. There's not enough there. So you know there is a reason that a certain subset of the Cavs fan base is thirsting over Kate Cunningham so hard. And it's because big ball handling wing is exactly what this this front court needs. playmaker front yeah. court playmaker like it, that's that's a pretty obvious need. It's precisely why I was so on board with trying to find uh, the, the team finding their way to Gordon Hayward. I mean, I'm, think about how different the Hornets feel without a guy like Gordon Hayward, who is actually, mm-hmm. you know, Lamelo gets all the pub and rightfully so because he looks like a superstar, but. Imagine how they look if they don't have Gordon Hayward to keep them, keep the ball moving, facilitating. That's the other thing with them is they all. So even though Darius is proven to be a very, very capable lead playmaker, yeah. they don't have elite decision-making on the court. You know, mm-hmm. like the, there isn't a lot of, you know, there aren't a lot of even connectors that yeah. just keep the ball flowing. And so the ball sticks a lot. There are, there is a lot of, you know, you know, pass, dribble, shoot are the three things you, you need to do when you catch the ball as a secondary or tertiary playmaker. In the Cavs, catch, survey, mm-hmm. survey, survey. And, you know, that I think that's ultimately the problem. So, yeah, I think that getting healthy helps. Yeah, I think Darius helps. But this might just be something we have to sit in. And they have to find ways to, you know, max out what they have. But I don't know of a beautiful flowing offense is what this team is built to do right now. No, I I think that's a, a really smart observation. And while we do lust over a front court player that can provide playmaking, I think even isolation scoring, like you look at the difference that Torian Prince, especially when he first came over made, you had a front court guy that could go out there and create a shot. He was hitting some tough shots in isolation. And you look at that second half and third quarter against Atlanta, there was a lot of times where they were just denying Garland the ball. If he was going to catch it, he's not going to catch it in a spot that he's comfortable with. Sexton was having trouble kind of running some of the sets there. Just having a small forward that could go out there, a small forward or even a power forward that could go out there and create a shot for himself and get you a bucket, I think that takes some pressure off the team. It allows you to start opening up other things because right now, you if a defense focuses in on Garland, and, and tries to take him away from the, the flow of the offense, he's going to make the right play. He's going to give up the ball. He's going to pass it, but it's not going to be a pass that's creating a quality shot attempt for somebody else. It's not going to be something that is producing offense. It's just giving the ball up, and there's there's nobody else pretty much that, that can create an off, uh, a good shot for themselves other than maybe Sexton, but I, I do think you, you need to have some front court scoring to balance that out. Yeah, and it's not scoring though, it's ball handling, you know. Jared Allen's yeah. been a very capable front court scorer. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, I I mean like isolation scoring. So yeah. typically ball handling is a, a factor in that for sure. Yeah, it, it, they just, you know, they, we know this. Um it's why I'll continue to say that I think that Isaac Okoro would probably be best served coming off the bench for a little while once Torian Prince is healthy. 
Ooh, I think that okay. goes a long way. You are oh, tying into a take I got. I got a take, Carter. Oh, okay. So in kind of, it lines up with your Okoro take. I think it's time to move on from Kevin Love as the starter. I, I think the Cavs need to go with Larry Nance Jr. as the starting power forward. Even Damn, if you Love beat me is to it. I was going to say, that big of a Dean Wade fan, huh? Even, yeah. <laughs> as much as I love D Wade, uh, that's not the direction I'm thinking. But I, I do think because, as we mentioned, the Cavs have kind of struggled to make these adjustments on the fly. The young guys are still learning how to play, learning how to win, um, and, and figuring out what the right balance is. And you look at the remaining schedule, there are nine back to backs in this remaining schedule. Ugh. And Kevin Love is not going to play those. Like, even if we assume all the, he's back for the next game, he's healthy for the rest of the year, he's not going to play in those back-to-backs. So you are constantly changing the flow of your offense, how the starting lineup is going to play in at least those games. There, there might be more games he misses, obviously, because this is kind of a touch-and-go situation. I think you, you got to move Larry Nance to the starting lineup. We talked about having Nance's minutes down to make sure he's healthy. That's obviously a priority with Kevin Love. <laughs> and I, I think Dean Wade ha- has played enough, uh, played well enough in the minutes he's got that coming off the bench, he can kind of spell Larry, give the Cavs that uh, spacing that they need. But I, I do think starting Larry and whether it be Torian Prince, Dylan Windler, um, whoever they get at the deadline, if they do make a move, I just think changing up the, the starting lineup, having Larry there with a spacer at small forward is the correct way to go. And Which before means, I, before so, I let, so, yeah. so, so just just for my clarification's sake, are you suggesting this in tandem with with putting Torian in the starting lineup? Correct, correct. So, okay, then I'm more on board. Yeah. So Garland, Sexton, Prince, or Windler uh, with Larry and Allen. And to clarify, I actually think Okoro should still play the same amount of minutes he's playing right now, or keep it around thirty. He should be that first guy in that spells one of Sexland. And still playing the, the same kind of minutes, still guarding the, the best perimeter defender or perimeter players out there. But I, I just think shuffling it up, having Larry out there with a spacer at the small forward position is going to help this offense click and get a little bit of continuity. Because I really do think that continuity is one of the things that this team needs the most right now. Yeah, I, I still would really prefer Isaac go down to closer to 25 minutes a game. I'm I'm okay with that as well, but I mean, I'm he's, still saying he's in the top 50 in minutes played per game mm-hmm. in the NBA right now. Yeah. And I just don't know if, I don't know if his play warrants that uh, just yet. Um, I think that he is kind of forced into situations where he just is, he's kind of put in a position to really struggle, especially, I mean, I think the fit next to Larry just doesn't work right yeah. now um, with, with the, with the structural thing. Cause I really, really like sex land, Tori and Larry and, and Jerry. And I'll say this, I don't think that he, while I have been very impressed with his defense, I don't think that his defense is given more than it or getting it, getting the team more than it gives against stars. I'd rather like they they're losing these minutes because the stars are such good bucket getters that it doesn't actually make that big of a difference if you just put Torian Prince on them. Yeah. And 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 but you can score with them. And I think this team needs to find a way to juice their offense 
um, at, at, at any cost. Because mm-hmm. what, what what we also see with them is their defensive fundamentals are not so good that they can consistently get stops either. So, you know, your best chance to get stops on this team, and we'll, I think we've seen this, and I'm kind of formulating this thought in real time, is we see this team go on runs because they actually can get stopped. Because when they score, they actually have a chance to get a stop as a set defense. <laughs> yeah. So the office, so let's go, I'm going full Sasha Pavlovich here mm-hmm. and kind of uh, asserting the idea that our offense is our defense in, in some ways. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that there is some merit to that as well. I, I do still think, and his minutes have been more reasonable lately. Like he, yes, he's had a few games been going down now that they have some wing, wing health. Right. So, and also part of why it's going down is with power forwards actually active for this roster, they don't need to play as many wings and stretch them out into both kind of forward spots. Um, But I I do think keeping his minutes up, like I'd have it still around 28, just because I I think you want to give him as many reps as possible. Um, I I think the limitations of him might be better masked. A, a little bit with the second unit, but it, I just like, want to give him some time, man. I yeah. feel like he's overexposed right now when we know he's a project on offense. Mm-hmm. And even if he's checking in like four minutes into the game, because that's kind of typically when one of the guards goes out, that gives them an opportunity to look at what the other team is running, uh, what what type of sets they're doing, how they're trying to get whoever he's about to guard involved into the offense. It gives them a little bit of time to process it, get ready, and go out there. I, I, I don't think that there's a downside to this. And I, I don't think that it, it is an indictment on him, uh, his, uh, the, the pick of Okoro. Like, we talked about even going into this year that we, we didn't know if he would end up even being the starter. And I, I, think, I think we were advocating for him not to be. Mm-hmm. At, at times we were, absolutely. Especially when you consider how important shooting is uh, for the Cavs offense. So... Um, I, I just give him the reps, but I, I do think that moving Larry into the starting lineup full time needs to be uh, something that the Cavs do at this point because you, you just can't have the uncertainty of uh, Kevin Love. And I feel terrible for him. Like I, I've, I, my mind has not even gone to the selfish place with Love yet. Of my God, like we really need him out there. We, we would have made such a big difference. Blah blah blah. My mind hasn't even gone there. Because it's got to be so frustrating for a guy that played most of the games last year. He only missed seven games last season. That feels crazy because that doesn't. It just feels like so long since we've seen him. <sighs> but you're right. Yeah, he he played most of the games last season in a very tough situation, and then all of a sudden, when you're having the most competitive cast season in a while, he's unable to play. He he's unable to go out there. Um, the calf, uh, I, I think they even said, well, it's all connected down there. So calf, Achilles, you, you never want to mess around with that area. the The fact that he's not able to take part in this is wild to me. Like it, it really is. And I, I just feel absolutely terribly for him. Obviously it's not great for the cast because they could use him out there. Uh, you're devoting a lot of uh, your calf space to him as well. If you're so inclined to those kind of conversations, it's just, I, I feel yeah, terrible. One, for one thing that you got to understand that I think not a lot of, you know, I, if you look at, at the social media, your social media feeds and you search Kevin Love, you're going to see some, some pretty aggressive negativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's frustrating, sure, as a fan, but you know what else? You know, like, it's not like Kevin Love is just chilling out at the house. 
<laughs> he's doing rehab and anyone who's ever done rehab you included justin because you absolutely shredded your knee if i recall correctly yep it's pt is terrible rehab mm-hmm. is terrible it's boring it's frustrating it's monotonous and like no one no one's like gonna just be like no no i'd rather do that <laughs> and especially when his teammates have been crediting him like sexton in particular has talked about how much he discusses things after the game with him uh calls him up on the phone uh to to talk about uh what he saw what what went wrong and i mean even the brooklyn game Love talked about uh talking to sexton about what he saw the defense was giving him and was par- coaching him on the sideline for that big three over Kyrie, like um he's still very involved it's it's just a a really tough situation and i feel for the guy i mean it's i i can only imagine what he's going through because being betrayed by your body is one of the most frustrating things and and you're right rehab sucks i'm still doing about an hour of it a day and i i just hate it so much yeah it's uh so you know i i feel for him i feel for us you know we we wanted to see him out there we wanted to get a chance to see what this offense looks like with some if not isolation scoring some shot creation yeah uh and and you know you talk about connectors kevin love is an elite connector um you know uh, of the of you know from play to play he's not a nikola Jokic type of passer but he does keep the ball moving and is really 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 smart so it's just disappointing mm-hmm. uh, and, and i hope that you know here you know we hope that he plays tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and uh, it was just a, a minor scare, and everything's actually good. We won't we won't know until you know the time comes to know. Yeah, but Pro- probably an hour before the game. Yep, as as is JP Baker's as job. as is tradition, <laughs> as he much prefers to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, you just wish the best for the guy, um, and hope that the Cavs can figure this out. You know. What I think they'd love is some clarity, to your point. That mm-hmm. is kind of the reason for wanting to move him to the bench. I don't think I'm there yet. I think I'd still rather start him uh, just because I think that still gives this current starting lineup the best chance to succeed. Yeah. But I certainly hear hear your point when you say that, you know, uh, I'm going to yell continuity. I'm going to yell continuity from the rooftops, Carter. It matters. And this team specifically really needs it. Um which is going to make the trade deadline an interesting time. But yeah, it's, it's tough, man. Like these two losses were pretty, pretty tough to swallow. I think, I think the fan base was hungry for some good vibes after that four out of five. It was so much fun leading in. And and that's, that's the real frustrating thing. So like I was having a bad week, uh, especially the tail end of last week. And I was just ready for some Cavs basketball. Anyone that's been listening to the podcast knows battle i battle with mental health stuff all the time and to get that frustrating of a game one to not have garland play on friday sucked um my dms i had to close them because i was just getting bombarded with some bs so if you want to request me for a podcast uh please hit up the team account or or the chase down account instead of mine yeah don't Um, hit up the team account yeah please please do not hit up the team account they will be wildly confused with that but you know what like i I was just sitting there and I was like, why, why am I getting so angry? Why am I getting so frustrated? And had nothing to do with the Cavs. It just impacted my ability to process the Cavs and, and to process that loss. So luckily got a little meditation in Carter, got a little bit of uh, good vibes going on the rest of the weekend. And I felt, felt better even after the Hawks loss going into the Hawks loss. And after I was feeling a little bit better. So, you know what? Little battles, little I, victories. 
I, I will say this uh, to those who are finding themselves getting especially frustrated. It's always okay to take a break. Like, oh yeah, Ga- Gallo hit Gallo hit that that kind of three to take it to twenty in the fourth quarter, and I said, okay, if they come back, I'll I'll catch up. You know, I'll watch it. I'll watch it back. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. You know, this is this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be a hobby. Um, and you know, it it if if it, if you're not having a good time, just you know, take take a break, take a breather, take a walk. <laughs> And it'll be okay, you know. It wasn't the way we wanted to see that the, them come out of the All Star break, but ultimately, this is a team that has proven time and time again that they are resilient, that they uh, can follow up absolutely atrocious play mm-hmm. with the kind of play that led to our last podcast, where we were really excited, yeah, about this team. You know, I, I still am. And, I honestly, I still, I still am. am. Yeah. And I still am. I'm disappointed about the Kevin Love stuff. But all the stuff that we said on that podcast still holds true after two really, really bad losses in a row. And, you know, would I like this team to find a way to stay competitive when things aren't going their way? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the number one priority for them. If I'm this coaching staff, which is how do we how do we knock ourselves out of a funk? Because yeah. what we've seen is this team either – competes and is there to the end and you know and when they're there to the end i pretty much think they're gonna win Mm -hmm. uh or they just get blown off the floor and the blow off the floor losses are very very hard to develop in they're hard on the soul they're and they're hard hard on the soul they just are but here's the thing carter one thing i i think is important to note and i i think this is especially important for people that are solely Cavs fans that that don't kind of consume a lot of games this is a trend this season. It's happening but, everywhere. That's a great point. Because there are so many games in this condensed season, and the inconsistency you're seeing from the Cavs is not that abnormal. There are stretches. Right now, the Raptors Twitter is having a complete meltdown. They are going nuts. And I have seen every single fan base go through some stretch of this. You, you yeah, go who's into having the, a good year? Who's having dude, fun? You go into the all-star break. There were four teams in the Eastern Conference that had an above 500 record. It's a little higher right now, but wait a week. There is so much inconsistency. And right now, the Cavs, they're still overachieving in comparison to what the expectations were for this roster going into this year. And I think part of the reason why I haven't got that down this season is because when we were predicting uh, how how many wins the Cavs were going to get and what the season would look like, what, yeah, exactly. For the, all those chase down drinking game uh, people, uh, 27, 27, by the way. So take it a shot. Um, but no, what, what it really comes down to is understanding what that means. There are a lot of losses and it doesn't feel good when the team loses. And there's so much inconsistency, I, I find. And people don't have to be as consistent as we do. We, we, we put our thoughts uh, on the record very often. So we're kind of held to a different standard, but you can't go, okay. Anytime the Cavs win too many games, this front office is stupid. They're, they're missing out a shot on, on a lottery prospect. Um, th- this is a, a disaster. This is, a, this is my nightmare. And when they lose games, you go the other direction and, oh, well, this coaching staff needs to go. They, they, they should be winning more games. Like, I, I, find... I can't believe anyone – I cannot believe anyone would call for JB's job. Yeah, well, I mean, it's baffling to me. I, I mean, I guess I can because people really are pretty dumb. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it is. Sorry, 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 yeah. listeners. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, 
that that's why sports talk radio exists right uh but i i really think like people forget this is what it feels like to go through these developmental curves like you're going to lose games that you should win hopefully you you win some games that uh, you're not supposed to win like you look at this back to back against miami and boston and I mean, every single night in the NBA, Carter, you hear some teams say, oh, my God, I was so unfocused. I never should have lost to that team. We could be that mistake. Yeah, you, you never know when the Cavs <laughs> are, are going to pull off one of these upset wins and, and make everyone feel good. But this is part of it, right? Like, if the, if you weren't trying to go through this process and try to win as many games as possible this year, you would maybe you add a, a top prospect and some star free agents that help you out and you go through these same growing pains next year. Like this is all part of the process and ultimately why I'm not too concerned with anything yet this season. Like th- there's nothing now, that I, makes I, me worry I, about the long term. Any concerns are literally, at least for me are in the most short term of, I want to have fun every time I watch the Cavs. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the roster construction, I think that they have so many options ahead of them. And I think we're going to see that, see things. I, I almost feel like, I'm sure we'll be accused of goalpost moving, but I almost feel like next year, next season's roster is really the first time I'm going to really, really start evaluating Kobe <laughs> Altman's choices. Well, I don't think that's goalpost moving because that that was what we discussed coming into this season, that the three most important guys for that we need to learn about within this calendar year is Sexton, Garland and Kobe, because there's actually going to be an opportunity here for them to shape the roster. There's actually going to be some flexibility for the first time. And it's really important to see how that manifests itself. Like we're going to learn a lot. We're probably going to learn a lot by the end of next week. Um, But for sure by the time the draft and free agency is over and they've made a few summer trades or adjustments or whatever they're going to do we should know what this team is and what they're trying to build we we've heard it but there hasn't really been the the flexibility and the opportunity to act on that just yet yeah I, i'm totally with you uh it's gonna be f- man i'm so antsy for this deadline because me too <laughs> first off kobe altman is a wheel and deal and fool. He makes like 50 trades a year. And (laughs) so we're going to really get a good sense of kind of one, what the market is, which continues to baffle me. I can't peg it for the life of me. Mm -hmm. You got, you got drew holiday going for like nine first round picks, but the Cavs might not be able to get a second for Andre Drummond. Uh, It's just, it, it's going to be fascinating uh, to, to see kind of, what the market is in reality, what the what the what the kind of general climate uh, is, and how that affects trade season, um, and you know how the second half of this year with no time to integrate affects this trade season. There's just so many variables here. So, like, we just have a lot to learn and a lot to parse through. But until we get there again, we're just gonna kind of stay in limbo. Like, mm-hmm. we're not gonna know exactly what this team is. Uh, until we get past that deadline unless Kobe you know makes some some moves earlier than we think but you know we know they're going to be active we know they're going to be it's going to happen as soon as we post this podcast you just know it well probably (laughs) but you know I I do get the impression that things are going to going to wait and take their time but you've made this point I think it's a really really smart one is that this is the first trade deadline in the first set of interactions 
uh, in transactions that Kobe Altman's had where he has to actually think about the basketball impact of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he has been doing the part that I think we all agree is the easiest part, which is the asset collection period. Yeah. You trade, we, we, we you move, trade positive we players for, yeah. Yeah. You trade positive players for positive pieces uh, like, like draft capital, et cetera. And you cash it in slowly over time. Mm-hmm. This is the cash in period. And they have a couple more of those assets in the Torian Prince's and the Andre Drummond's of the world, but he can't just take back Flotsam that's going to mess up the team. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, uh, it's going to make moves harder. Mm-hmm. That's for damn sure. It is. And I, I think one of the main Oh, by things- the way, also can't mess up the cap sheet because this is going to be one of the last years they have a lot of room. Yeah, no, no kidding. And I mean, we talked about it on the last pod, but when you're talking about getting an Andre Drummond return just for the sake of optics, if you're taking on some bad money to get that second round pick, is it really worth it at that point? You're like, especially when you do have an ownership group that has been willing to kind of eat it at times, right? Like they've been willing to spend on this team to help the rebuild along. And yeah, maybe a buyout versus hurting the cap sheet for another second round pick. Cause they do have quite a few in the future. Maybe that is the the way to go. It would disappoint me because this would be kind of a repeat of the J.R. Smith situation. I, I really thought this free agency class was supposed to be so good. It was so hyped. It was talked about on, on the jump and all those type of programs forever. And then it just ended up cratering. All these guys re-signed. I don't know if it was COVID or what the deal was, but it really felt like that expiring contract at the very least was going to have some value. And that just, it didn't work out. And I still think it was a good bet. Um, it was. You know, it was some, a smart bet, some, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah, some people will disagree with that. They would say, you know, um, you know, I, I don't want to slander our dear friend of the podcast, David Zavak, but he made yeah, a do. comment about like, uh, you know, maybe it's not good to have fifty million tied up in Andre Drummond and Kevin Love. And I just want to kind of want to say but you probably would have wanted to tie up 50 million in Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. <laughs> like oh, you man. still wanted to spend the money. You just didn't spend it on your guy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, man. I just think like, sure. The, they've taken some gambles. Uh, they've gotten a couple bad. Yeah. That's, you know, actually here, here's a, here's a weird spin and non-Cavs fans will grumble. Cause anytime the Cavs mention any Cavs fan, anytime you mention not being lucky, um, non-cast fans will grumble because of all the, the lottery wins uh, a decade ago, um, which is crazy. Um, but with that said, you know, I do think there is something to be said for the fact that the Cavs have actually been kind of unlucky in this rebuild, and we're still pretty pleased about the direction. Yep. Isn't that crazy? You know, the, the, they've, their draft pick has followed, you know, they're, they're, the Nets pick, which was a gold standard on the trade market falls to eight. Mm-hmm. They fall to five, two consecutive years. Kevin Love, who is their best player that they signed to with this big deal to be their standard bearer in the new era, their, their cultural uh, connection to a championship past has spent a good percentage of his time on this deal hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, I just feel like a lot of it, you know, they trade for Andre Drummond for a second to basically eat this half year of salary. So they have a monster expiring ahead of a monster free agent class up oh, mm-hmm. expiring 
lose all their value. Yeah. You know, I think they're taking good bets. KPJ, you know? KPJ was a good bet. Uh, who, th- who there knows you go. If, who knows if uh, COVID never happened and there wasn't nine months apart where like everything's up in the air. Who knows if, if the situation could have played out differently there? Like so, it, so I it's a weird thing where I feel like a lot of the bet risks they're taking are ones I would make that are not exactly panning out exactly how you would hope. Mm-hmm. But I still like where the direction the team's going. And normally, when franchises make a bunch of big swings and they met and they either miss or things aren't as you they seem, it spells disaster. You know, mm-hmm. you you're the kings or someone like that. That you know, are, you know, you're, Hey, you know, you take a swing on Marvin Bagley over Luca and you're looking to trade him before his rookie deal's done. I, I don't know, know if that's a swing. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a, a face cut. plant. That's a yeah. face plant. <laughs> that's a, that's a deep cut. Um, but you know what I mean? Like normally when things aren't quite going your way, when the calculator risks you take aren't hitting it, it spells disaster. And I don't feel that way about this, this org right now. And I, if nothing else, I think that's encouraging. Resilience, right? Like yeah, we've seen it with the team and you know what, honestly, like when you talk about this second half of the season, I'm interested to see if this young group has the same resilience they've shown to this point, because you talked about how important practice is for them at the same time when they had their practice, they lost their next two games. They lost Denver and OKC and the young group found a way to pull themselves out of that, to, to turn things around and turn it into a winning streak. So can they keep doing that? Can they keep weathering the storm, dealing with the losses, not playing the blame game and, and continuing to work on the process? Because I really think that is going to have more of an impact on how next season goes than just about anything. Cause if you're talking about adding a rookie or some other nice complimentary pieces, that's really going to help that that might raise the ceiling of this team, but how these guys grow for the rest of this season and what they take into the off season is going to be the most important thing. Man, you know, I, I referenced how much I think the Hornets have helped LaMelo Ball by mm-hmm. having Terry Rogier's, uh, Gordon Hayward's of the world that are, you know, solid vets that actually really help build a nice infrastructure, a nice safety net. Boy, would I love it if the Cavs could do the same thing for whatever rookie they draft, where let's say let's say things go exactly the way you want and Kate Cunningham lands here. I hope that they are able to let him develop at his own pace instead of having to be the super duper star right off the rip, you know? And and that's why what you said is so important. They have to keep building culture building, even when it's not fun, even when it's hard, because if they are able to build a foundation and then add another young talent to it, uh, then we got a stew going, baby. We do. And, and you know who provides a nice structure and a nice support uh, support structure for us, Carter? Uh, I would imagine our listeners, but it does yeah. sound like you were uh, like, it almost sounded like one of your old uh, ad reads for yeah. ad read. Yeah. We gotta get some, I can't wait till we get some Cavs corporate partners on here, man. <laughs> Come on. We don't. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- there's a little bit of rust even going with that, but you're right. It is our listeners. And I want to give a big thanks to our listeners. You guys are amazing. Uh, you guys are incredibly supportive of the podcast and it, it means a lot to both of us. Uh, so if you guys want to continue supporting the podcast and you haven't already done so, do what we always ask you to do, which is leave that rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. 
however you choose to support us. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs.